Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, again, good morning. Um, uh, Like I said, my name is David. I'm the lead pastor here at Apostles. And um, on behalf of our church family, I want to welcome any of you who are here maybe for the first time or here from out of town. Uh, We're so grateful to have you as a guest to worship with us today. Here at Apostles, we have a simple uh, goal. We want to be a community following Jesus in Houston. And we, uh, we set three aims within that, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. And so today is a special day for us because we're all about Jesus. And today we get to celebrate this risen Jesus and consider what it means. What does it mean for us? Uh, what does it mean for the world that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, in his memoir called The Great Good Thing, author Andrew Claven writes that uh, as a secular Jew growing up outside of New York City, uh, he was uh, very skeptical, cynical about faith in general, but particularly about the Christian faith. Uh, he loathed what he described as magical thinking. In particular, uh, he says he hated the forced optimism of the Christian faith, especially around the resurrection. Hope in the face of death, he said, give me a break. Give me a break. He goes on uh, in his memoir to, to say this. How could I seriously believe that a carpenter rose from the dead on Easter Sunday? I've never even seen a carpenter go to work on a Sunday. <laughs> If you're not familiar with Andrew Claven, he's an award-winning author, best-selling author of crime and suspense novels. Uh, he's brilliant. He's successful by any measure. Uh, and as I said, he was raised as a secular Jew. And so he spent the first 40 years, some odd years of his life, uh, as uh, an agnostic and then as an atheist. And he's about the least likely person, you could say, that you would imagine becoming a follower of Christ, becoming a Christian. And yet, at the age of 49, he found himself kneeling at the front of a church, being baptized in a church in Manhattan. After his conversion and in his book, he recounts a conversation he had with his adult son after making this life choice to follow Jesus. And he says to uh, his adult son, he said, uh, about following Jesus, he said, I I have this intense feeling that it all makes sense somehow. All of Jesus' actions and his teachings, it's like this beautiful picture, and yet it's it's blurry to me. It's blurry. I feel like if I could just kind of tweak the lenses, I might be able to actually see, and things would come into focus. But I can't seem to do it. And then Claven's son thought about it for a while, and he replied, maybe the problem is you are trying to understand a philosophy instead of getting to know a man. Maybe you're trying to understand a philosophy instead of getting to know a man. 
Clavin says, I recognized in that moment that my son's response was the single smartest thing that anyone had ever said to me. The essence of the Christian faith is a person. The essence of the Christian faith is a person. It's not about mastering a set of rules or of teachings. It's not about being uh, in charge or in control of our life through some kind of life hack system. It's about being mastered ourselves by a man. What walked out of the tomb that first Easter Sunday was not a new set of rules for life. It was not a a secret knowledge to unlock human potential. It wasn't four great keys for your best life now. What walked out of the tomb was a man. That man's name was Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. The claim of the Christian faith is that what you and I are looking for cannot be found out there in the world. That what you and I are looking for cannot be found even deep within ourselves. It can only, only be found in this man, in the person of Jesus. And so I want us to look together at the person who walked out of that tomb that first Easter morning. Now, to do that, we're going to look at the scriptures together. So I want you to grab a Bible. Uh, We love opening our Bibles together here, so there's Bibles in the seat backs near you. If you want to open up one of those black Bibles, or you can pull it up on your phone, or if you brought your own Bible. But let's look together at Matthew 28, those words that I just read. If you're looking in the black Bible, it's 835, page 835. And as you're turning there, just to kind of recap What we find there is that there were two women, Mary Magdalene and another Mary, and they came to visit the tomb early on that Sunday morning. And what they found, they expected to find a tomb, but what they found, and a body, what they found is an angel. They find this angel, and the angel says to them, he's not here. He has risen, as he said he would. Come. And see the place where he lay. And then the angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Now right there in that summary is the invitation of the resurrection. For those two women, for all Jesus' disciples, and for us. And it's a simple invitation for us today. It's two parts. Come and see. Go and tell. Come and see. Go and tell. That's the invitation for us today. Now, I want us to consider this invitation. What I'm not going to do this morning is I'm not going to try to convince you of the plausibility of the resurrection, okay? There are a lot of amazing books and a lot of incredible people who are smarter than I am that can point you in that direction, and I encourage you to investigate that because hard intellectual questions are important, and the Christian faith can stand up to those. But I don't want to argue about the plausibility of the resurrection today. I don't want to present a robust theological argument about the empty tomb and its significance. What I simply want to do this morning is extend the invitation of the resurrection to you. The invitation to come and see and then to go and tell. So what do I mean by that? First, to come 
and to see, to come and see. It's interesting, as I was reading the resurrection account again this week, it stood out to me, these words, come and see, come and see. It reminded me of early in Jesus' ministry. Uh, if you look in the gospel, there's a man named Philip, and Philip uh, had encountered Jesus, and his life had been changed by Jesus. He was amazed by, by who this man and what, what he was doing, and he was so captivated by him, he said, I have to go and tell one of my friends. And so he went, and he told one of his friends, Nathaniel. And you know what he said to Nathaniel? He said, come and see. Come and see this man, Jesus, who I believe is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He said, come and see. That's at the very beginning of the Gospels. And now, at the end of the Gospels, we see the same words appear. Come and see. The angel says, come and see this Jesus. You see, from start to finish, the Gospels are about people being invited to come and to see this Jesus. That's the invitation of the gospel. The whole of scripture, even, you can say. This whole story is an invitation. Come and see. Come and see this Jesus. Now, what's happened between these two invitations to come and see is important. Because now Jesus has been arrested. He's been tortured. He's been executed on a cross. He was dead and buried in a tomb. Now, we know what happens next, but they didn't know. They didn't understand what was happening. They believed that this was their Messiah, the Savior of the world, who would overthrow all earthly powers and establish God's kingdom on earth forever. And so when he died, it was devastating. They were overwhelmed with grief and overwhelmed with fear. And so now this angel appears at the tomb, and what does the angel say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, he is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see where he lay. I love this uh, encouragement from the angel. Don't be afraid. <laughs> You're standing there in the early hours, the darkness of morning. There's an earthquake out of nowhere. This giant stone rolls back, and an angel comes and sits on it. Don't be afraid. It's all good. I would have been terrified. We all would have been terrified. This is overwhelming. This is bewildering. What is happening in this moment? And so he says, don't be afraid. Now, why should they not be afraid? It's actually not because there's an angel there saying, don't be afraid. It's because of what he says next. You seek Jesus who was crucified. You seek Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He has risen that's why you don't have to be afraid. If you read the Gospels, you'll discover this Jesus the angel is talking about, this crucified one that he points to. In the Gospels, you discover a Jesus who was a lot of things. He was a great teacher. He was brilliant. He could spar with the sharpest minds in his day. But he could also be incredibly confusing, even to his closest followers. Totally unpredictable. He could become angry and frustrated at times. He was a fearless leader. He stood up to the religious leaders and the Roman authorities. He was a healer, a miracle worker. He had delivered Mary Magdalene, who's standing now here at the empty tomb, from seven demons, set her free. Countless others from all kinds of sickness raised people from the dead. And so I just, I just want to say, whatever your impression of Jesus may be, whether it came from the cover of Time magazine that always comes out this time of year, uh, or it's from a Dan Brown novel, or a History Channel 
uh, documentary, wherever your ideas, your impressions of Jesus have come from, what I want to suggest is that the Gospels give us a very different picture of who this Jesus is. The real Jesus, the Jesus of the Gospels, is completely untamed. He is not what you expect. He was radically unlike anyone who ever lived. No one would encounter this Jesus and go, hmm, he's amazing. He's unlike anyone who's ever come before. And it was, wasn't because of any of these things, though, that the, the angel says, don't be afraid. It wasn't because of any of those amazing things about Jesus. You know, it, it wasn't because Jesus' teaching was um, something completely new. In a sense, it was fuller fulfillment of old law that God had already said. He'd already said, love your neighbor. He'd already said, love your enemy. Jesus was just helping us to see more clearly the truth. So there wasn't something new. You know, even Buddha, even Gandhi said things like this. That's not what sets Jesus apart. It doesn't set him apart that he was a martyr. There are lots of good men and women who have died for good causes. That's not what sets Jesus apart. Here's what sets Jesus apart, the crucified one who has risen. It's that he claimed to be God in the flesh. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He said it over and over as many ways as he could. He was not holding back. He made it very clear. He said he could forgive sin. Who can forgive sin but God? He said he was eternal, that he had been there from the beginning, that he had sent the prophets and the teachers of Israel thousands of years before he appeared on the scene in the first century. As the creed says, he was crucified, dead, and buried. He rose again on the third day. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is alive because he is eternal. He is God. What sets Jesus apart was not that he came uh, just as a great example or a great teacher. He wasn't life par excellence. He was life. He was life itself. One of my favorite passages is in John chapter 1. It says that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's who Jesus is. In Jesus, God gave us himself as a person. Jesus was a man who was God. How is that possible? How could someone who looks like us be God? How is that possible? Let me, you know, we're so used to kind of this, especially if we've grown up in the church or around kind of Christian circles, like, yeah, okay, cool, Jesus was a man and God, I got it. But just kind of put this in context for a minute. Let's say today you realize you forgot something for Easter lunch. You got to run to the grocery store real quick and you're walking down the produce aisle and some guy taps you on the shoulder and he says, hey, just want to let you know I'm God. <laughs> a man standing before you claiming to be God. Now, I can guarantee you would have a lot of things go through your heart and mind, and one of them would not be, wow, he seems like a really nice guy. You wouldn't think to yourself, man, I should ask this guy for life advice. You wouldn't think, ah, oh, I should trust my kids to this guy while I go do some more shopping. You probably would want to call the police if you got really aggressive about it. This is insane that a man would claim to be God, but that's exactly what Jesus claimed. Jesus was God. If you were to go to the Webster's Dictionary and look up God, it should say, see Jesus. Fully God, 
and fully man. And this fully God, fully man was crucified. He was crucified. Why? Why was he crucified? Why this whole story to unfold this way? Here's the thing. If there's a God and he created us and he's a good and loving God and he made us for himself to be cut off from him in any way is to be cut off from the source of life itself. And death enters in to reality, into our story. The truth is we've all rejected God. Like the prophet Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has chosen our own way. That's what sin is. Sin is a rejection of God as God and a claim to be God ourselves in one way or another. Sin is our decision to do what we want instead of what God wants, to walk our own way. And it separates us from the very source of life itself. And the consequence of that is death. And not just physical death, but a spiritual and eternal death. Death is uh, terrifying to us. We all in this room will die. We prefer not to think about it, not to talk about it. But it's an inescapable reality that all of us in this room will die. And because of that, in some way, it sounds so natural to us, but nothing could be more unnatural in God's creation than death. Death is the most unnatural thing. You were meant for life. I was meant for life. And to secure that life, Jesus paid the ultimate penalty of our sin, which was death. He died in our place on the cross. He died because he loves you and he came to rescue you from sin and death. How can we believe that? How can we know that? We can know that because he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He said he would, the angel says, and he did. He rose from the grave. And by his resurrection, we can have new life. We can overcome the power of sin and evil and death in our own lives. In Jesus, the world is made new. We just celebrated this with baptism. Raised to new life. Resurrected with Christ. In Jesus, that's what's been accomplished. You can live free. That's what that means. New life means live living free from shame, living free from your failure, free from your pride, free from your fear. Do not be afraid. So that through faith in him, by trusting your life to this Jesus and your will to this Jesus, you can be forgiven. You can be set free. You can have resurrected life with Jesus forever. And it can begin now. I want you to hear me. God loves you no matter what you have done. God loves you no matter what you have done. That is not sentimental spirituality. That is the deepest, most profound promise of your creator that you will ever know. Don't let it become too familiar. If it's the first time you're hearing it, receive it. God loves you. 
Some of us, maybe we've been in church for a long time, and we hear that, and we're like, okay, God loves me. Thanks. I got that. Check that box. Don't let that happen today. Let me, let me just propose for a minute why that's so profound, right? Consider all the reasons, for example, to believe that God can't love you. Consider all the times that you have not even believed such a God existed. Consider all the times you've not given him the honor that he was due. Consider all the ways you've disobeyed him in your life. Consider all the things you've done out of your own selfishness and pride. Consider all the things that you have done to hurt others in your life, to hurt those that you love the most, your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your children, your friends. See, when I'm brutally honest with myself, I can come up with a lot of reasons why God shouldn't love me. I love the story in John chapter 4 where Jesus encounters a woman drawing water from a well. She's there by herself. It's just the two of them having a conversation. And Jesus tells this woman that he's the one she's been waiting for, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Messiah. And she doesn't believe him. And so he tells her everything that she's ever done. (laughs) He tells her everything she's ever done. He tells her all the ways that she has sinned against God. He says, I know all that. I know all your mistakes. I know all your shame. But here's the thing. I've come for you. I choose you. I love you. And she runs into the town where she's been shamed and rejected her whole life. And you know what she says? I met a man who told me everything I ever did. He chooses you. He loves you. He died for you and for me and for the world. Listen, you don't have to manage your life on your own anymore. You don't have to bear the burden of your sin and your shame alone. I tried that for decades. I knew so much of this. And yet there were so many parts of my life and my heart that I had not surrendered to him. I made a big mess. My bet is you have too. It's time to surrender. It's time to take a step of faith. It's time to confess your need for this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus who loves you and died for you and is alive today. To take a step, maybe even today, for the first time in your life, to trust him and follow him. All he asks is for a step. Come, follow me, he says. So my invitation to you, whether you are uh, someone who's been in the church for years or if today's the first time you've ever heard any of this stuff about Jesus, is that you would take that first step and consider this Jesus. Just consider him. You have questions. So do I. 
Come and see. You need healing and freedom. So do I. Come and see. The best thing to do to come and see is to pick up this book. Pick up this book and begin to read about this Jesus. I'd recommend you start in the Gospel of John. Start reading through John. Get a journal. Write down what stands out to you. Write down questions. Ask lots of questions. Questions are great. Jesus loves questions. And if that sounds intimidating, you don't have to do that by yourself. That's why we're here. We're here to come and see this Jesus, to seek him together. And so we gather every week in small groups, and we ask these questions about Jesus. We want to come and see him and hear what he has to say and and learn from him, but really to encounter him, the living Jesus, to come and see him. In fact, I, I just want to say, so if you're in a life group and you're here this morning, would you just do me a favor? Raise your hand, just if you're in a life group and you're here this morning. That's what these people are doing in our community. So I just want you to look. Keep them up. Keep them up. There you go. I want you to look around the room, and if someone's raised their hand, you can go to that person, and you can say, can you show me where I can learn more about Jesus? Can I join you as you come to see this Jesus? They would love to invite you to join in studying this book. You can put your hand down. Thank you. But I just want to encourage you, take up this invitation to come and see. And very quickly, I just want to, I want to close with this. I want to go back to what the scriptures say here. It says, then go quickly and tell his disciples, that's what the angel said to them, that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran, they're running to tell the disciples, and behold, Jesus met them. They encountered the risen Jesus, and he said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The second invitation is this, go and tell. Go and tell. It's worth noting that in the first century, the testimony of women was completely unacceptable. It was not deemed trustworthy. But God, in his perfect will, chose these two women to go and tell all the men. Do you know where the men were? They were hiding. The women had to go tell the men because they're hiding that Jesus is alive, that they had seen him go and tell. Here's the thing. In Christ, in the church, there are no second-class citizens. We are all forgiven. We are all made new in him, and we are all qualified to go and to tell others about what God has done for us in Jesus. We all have a story to tell. At the end of Matthew, the risen Jesus, he, he meets them. He comes to them as he said he would, and he tells them, go into the world and make followers of me. Tell them all the things that I've taught you. Baptize them. He tells them all these things. He says, go and tell. Here's the thing. If you want to see more of Jesus, like the, the women did that morning, go and tell others about Jesus, and you will see him. You will see him again and again because by his Holy Spirit, he will minister through you to others. What we have been given in Christ is not just for ourselves. Come and see so that you can go and tell. It's for all those who are longing to see Christ. There are people in your life that need Jesus. They're longing for him. They're waiting for him, whether they realize it or not. And so tell them what God's done for you. Tell them what he's teaching you. Tell them about your love for for Jesus and his love for you. Tell them stories about his faithfulness and his provision. And if you can't think of any stories about his faithfulness and provision in your life, ask somebody else and use their stories. Just tell stories 
about Jesus. Tell people about him. God has put you in the life of someone who's desperately longing for Jesus, whether they know it or not. They don't need lots of rules. They don't need amazing philosophical insights. They don't need lots of church programming. What they need is Jesus. And if you have him, go and tell. Go and tell. Two simple invitations this Easter morning. Come and see, go and tell. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.